Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Alright, welcome back to everybody all around the world. This is going to be episode number 29. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode number 28. Uh, this is going to, episode 29 here is going to be a short form episode as opposed to a feature length episode. And uh, thank goodness for that, I just got off work and I don't think I have it in me to do a, uh, a long form episode. And before we get into the uh, the bulk of the uh, the topic for today, I wanted to mention a, we got a review on the podcast, and anytime I get a review on over there on Patreon, a Patreon supporter or something like that, I like to give folks a shout out. Uh, there was a user on Apple Podcasts, Treehopper One. And they left a review that they uh, they did appreciate the podcast in the in the context and the analysis that we do here. And I, w- I wanted to say thank you to that listener uh, certainly for leaving a review. And I, I really am glad to get that feedback uh, that you appreciate the uh, the analysis that we do and the way we read the letters. I uh, I really do rely on people giving me feedback about the podcast in order for me to be able to uh, see if there's anything that we can adjust or. You know, what you folks like about the podcast and what you don't like. Uh, so I was very happy to hear that review on, on Apple Podcasts, that they do appreciate what we're doing. Uh, that gives me uh, good confidence to keep moving forward with what the way we do this here. So thank you again, uh, Treehopper1 on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate it. So what are we going to talk about today? You know, I, I mentioned something on the previous episode. I got into this discussion around some comments that William Tudor had made, and I'm going to read this section of this letter to you again so you can know what I'm talking about. Quote, The luxury and corruption that has debauched and depraved all ranks in Great Britain has led them to treat public virtue as a public jest and to consider the love of one's country as the most idle reverie. But I hope this country will soon demonstrate to that mistaken nation that patriotism is not a chimera, end quote. So he was talking about that, and then I spun that off into a conversation about the United States and patriotism, and, you know, there there are people in the United States who, who basically have a who I don't know if it's luxury and corruption that has debauched and depraved all ranks in certain sectors of the United States, as William Tudor articulated Great Britain. But something has happened in the United States where patriotism has been lost in certain circles, and some people within the United States regard the United States as a truly terrible country. And I know that's going to shock some of you folks overseas. But I mean, but it, but it's, it's very true. It's uh, you know, for some of us in the United States, it's kind it's kind of a public shame in in a way that that people regard this country so horribly in some circles within the United States. And I tried to uh, demonstrate the arrogance of that particular opinion by saying, well, you know, if there's people by the millions effectively trying to claw their way into this country on an almost daily basis, in other words, they're fighting to get in here, how in the world could the United States possibly be a, a terrible country as you might articulate it? And it, it, it proves the point fairly accurately that the United States is not so terrible as, as some folks would make it out to be. And that's... um. And that patriotism in the United States is not a chimera. It's not a reverie, as uh, William Tudor had said that the Brit- that the people of Britain regarded it uh, in America back in the 1770s. It's it's not. It, you know, patriotism in the United States is very much what it was in Massachusetts in 1774, like we we're talking about. Okay. And then I made the comment of 
you know, if your focus, you know, which is, is the United States the best country in the world? In other words, these people who are trying to clamor to get to the United States, does that mean that the United States is the best country in the world? And I said, well, if your focus is freedom and liberty, it probably is. But if your focus is not freedom and liberty, it may not be the best country in the world from your perspective. And what do I mean by that? Some, fo some folks out there might be thinking, what does he mean by that? If your focus is freedom and liberty, yeah, the United States might be the best country in the world. Well, obviously, whether or not any country in the world is the best country in the world always depends upon your perspective. It depends on what you value most. It could be a million different things. It could be freedom and liberty. It could be the community of people that you have around you. It could be the business, the way business is done in your country. It could be the way the relationships are formed within your country, formed and maintained. It could be the work ethic in your country. It could be a, it could be a million different things. So that's what I mean by that. But what is it about freedom and liberty? And, and you know, why, why do I say focusing on that? Uh, would mean that the United States is the best country. Well, I, I don't think there's very many countries out there that could possibly be better than the United States when it comes to freedom and liberty. And I think a lot of folks around the world would probably agree with that. And I think there's some folks who would disagree with that. And there's and you get into this debate of okay, you know what what def, what make what makes a country free? What what mean what makes it the case that you have freedom and liberty in any given country? Because there's a lot of folks out there in the world who think that they live in free countries just like the United States. Is that true? Well, I would say probably, probably not. I mean, there, there's a few exceptions where that may be close to accurate, but most of the time I would say that's absolutely incorrect. What do I mean by that? Well, we talked about it in a letter. Well, not a letter. It was actually the resolutions of Fairfax County uh, from January 17th of 1775. I'll read it to you again, and those of you who remember this episode of the podcast, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to read you a very short section from this resolution. Quote, A well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other freemen is the natural strength and only staple security of a free government. End quote. And I think to myself, if you don't have that, if you don't have a well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other free men, can you possibly have a free government? And can you possibly live in, quote, a free country, end quote? I would argue probably not. Why, Roman, what do you mean by that? How could that, what do you mean you can't live in a free country? There's plenty of countries in the world that are free. Well, yes and no. It's very important to ask yourself this question. Are your rights that are supposedly guaranteed in whatever document it was that, you know, governs your country, are those rights worth the paper that they're printed on? Or can they just be snuffed out in us in a second? That's an important question to ask. And I'm not saying that every country out there that's not the United States is like the Soviet Union. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, so don't misunderstand me. But if you've ever read the Soviet Constitution, if the this, this Constitution of the Soviet Union, I've read it, by the way. It sounds lovely, most of it. I mean, it really, it's really, it really gives you the warm and fuzzies when you read that thing. And that's the whole point. It's supposed to sound good. But I think the people who lived in the Soviet Union, not all of them, but a lot of them would say that that, that, that document, those rights in that document weren't worth the paper they were printed on. It was all crap. It was just another government lying to its people, just like governments like to do. Except the Soviet Union was, was particularly good at it. And they did it, they lied more than most other governments lie. Most governments do not lie like the Soviet Union lied. The Soviet Union took it to another level. Obviously. So again, I'm not saying that every country that's not the United States is like the Soviet Union. Some of them are, but not all of them. Not even close. So you need to ask yourself, are your rights worth more than the paper they're printed on? And in many cases, in my opinion, based on things I see around the world today, and honestly 10 years ago, the answer to that question is no, the rights are not worth the paper they're printed on. Now, why is that? And I would say it has something to do with this concept of the government telling their people that they don't trust them. The government says, I don't trust you individual in the country, I don't trust you. That's the government speaking. 
Now, how can I say that? How can I say that the government doesn't trust the people? Well, if you don't have the right to compose yourself as a well-regulated militia, I would say that the government clearly does not trust you. Any government that does not allow its people to compose themselves as gentlemen, freeholders, and other free men in a well-regulated militia does not trust them. Now, you might disagree with me on that, but it's really hard to argue that. If they, if they trust you, then why won't they let you do that? Well, because it's not safe. Why isn't it safe? Well, because they don't trust us. Yeah, exactly. And this, this, is really, this really gets down to a, a further difference of perspective. Some people honestly don't have a problem with their government telling them that they don't trust them. That the government doesn't trust them. Let me, I'll put it that way. They don't have a problem, you know, with their government being suspicious of them. Or certainly they don't have a problem with the government being suspicious of their neighbor. People are, people in, there's a lot of countries in the world, including a, a, a large portion of the United States, that, that people that do not trust their neighbors, very suspicious of their neighbors. It didn't used to be like that in the United States, by the way. That's a relatively mid to late 20th century phenomenon. I'm just going to put that out there. The bigger, it seems like the bigger the cities got, the more that became a thing. But I have, a, I, I take issue with that. You know, I think a government telling its people that we don't trust you is a problem because governments that don't trust their people tend to take away freedom and liberty from their people. They tend to because they don't trust them. That's the whole point. And, you know, when a government tells me that they don't trust, when my government tells me that they don't trust me, I don't think it's a good thing. I'm not comfortable with it. As a matter of fact, it agitates me. And my response to that is, when the government comes and tells me that I don't trust you, my response is, well, I don't trust you, government. I don't trust you. How do you like them apples? That's the whole reason why we have a constitution in the first place is because the people do not trust you. We wouldn't have a Bill of Rights to guarantee our freedom and liberty if we trusted you. Governments are irresponsible by their nature and untrustworthy. And freedom and liberty is always in danger when the government comes out and says, we don't trust you. And that would be, again, why we have a Bill of Rights in the United States. Sometimes violated, but we do have a Bill of Rights. The and the government does not like to stick to those Bill of Rights either, by the way. There's always a constant battle, a friction, between the people and the government as it pertains to that, the, the, those, that Bill of Rights. And it's because, you know, the Bill of Rights are like chains that shackle the government down. And you think the government likes that? No, it doesn't. I mean, and I'm not talking about individuals within the government. I'm talking about the beast that is the government, the machine that is the government. And that's different than the individual people within the government. There are many good people in government, and there's also some really, really bad ones too. The machine that is government almost has a life of its own. It's the institution, which again, I mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast, these people who consider themselves institutionalists, they believe in the institutions of government. I'm always terrified of these people. Because they don't believe in anything except the institution. They do not believe in freedom. They don't believe in liberty. They don't believe the, in the rights of the people. They don't believe in the Declaration of Independence. They don't believe in any of it. They just believe in the institution. That is their deity, so to speak. Dangerous people. Anytime, by the way, keep, an ear, keep your ears open for people like that who say that they love the institutions or that they believe in the institutions. Anybody who says that is a dangerous human being. And there's going to be a lot of people out there who disagree with me on that, but honestly... I've read so much of what the Founding Fathers have wrote about this kind of thing. you, you got to take my word for it. Or don't. Keep reading. Keep listening to the podcast. Keep reading the Founding Fathers and all that stuff. Believe me, you'll figure it out one of these days. 
But again, you know, there are folks out there in the United States and outside the United States who don't think that freedom and liberty is necessary to have a to have a good country. And honestly, if you don't care a whit about freedom and liberty, I, I guess you can be perfectly happy in your country without that. And in around the world, there there's a lot of countries that have varying degrees of freedom and liberty. It spans the spectrum. It really does. It's all over the place. Some of them, some some countries outside the United States have a lot of freedom and liberty. They really do. And there really is a fairly decent system in place to to guarantee some of those rights. And then in other countries, it's an absolute nightmare. And then you've got everything in between. And I think, you know, the reason why people might have this kind of odd relationship with freedom and liberty that they don't think it's necessary for them to be able to live free or to be able to live a good life, I think it's because people have a very unhealthy relationship with control. And they have a, uh, a kind of antipathy for freedom and liberty in many ways. And what do I mean by antipathy? Uh, a kind of hostility. And when I say liberty, I mean traditional liberty. And I would encourage anybody out there who has what I would describe to be an unhealthy relationship with control. In other words, you don't have a problem when, you're, when your government comes to you and says, I don't trust you. If your response is anything other than, well, government, I don't trust you. How do you like them apples? If that's not your response, if instead your response is, okay, I, I appreciate that government. It's okay if you don't trust me. I would ask, I'd probably suggest you take a, a long, hard look at that and that you try to, you try to maybe think about whether that's the best course of action or not. Just a thought. Because yes, I, I do believe that some semblance of freedom and liberty is very necessary to have a good country, to have something that you can really believe in for any length of time. I mean, you know, you might have a perfectly wonderful country in good times and it seems like you're free, but if you don't have real freedom and liberty, it can all be taken away from you in a second if things go bad. And, you know, there's nothing that government enjoys most, enjoys more than a, than a good crisis. I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think it was James Madison who once said that crisis is the rallying cry of the tyrant. I forget who said that originally. It may have been James Madison. It may have been somebody else. The reason why governments like a good crisis is because it does give them the opportunity to kind of uh, take some of that freedom and liberty away and really, again, demonstrate to the people that they don't trust them. Uh, freedom and liberty are very necessary, very necessary things, I think. Other people disagree with me, that's fine. And if again, if it's not your focus, freedom and liberty, you could be very happy wherever it is that you live, in the United States, in a state that doesn't have very much freedom and liberty, or in another country that doesn't have much freedom and liberty either. I just, uh, I hope it doesn't go bad for you, I really do. I really hope that uh, you uh, you continue to live as free as possible in whatever country it is that you live in. Uh, I want the best for you. I really do. Now, now, what do I mean when I say freedom and liberty? You know, sometimes people people don't even know what freedom and liberty means anymore, I think, in some respects. I think some people think it means anarchy, and it, it doesn't. You know, when, when the Founding Fathers set up this country, they didn't, they didn't set up an anarchy state. It didn't turn into anarchy immediately upon instituting the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and having this uh, this society of freedom and liberty, it was very much an under-control society. So how, how in the world did that happen? Why is it that a people can actually succeed and build a functioning society with all this freedom and liberty without the government constantly chasing you around saying, I don't trust you? Well, it's because with freedom and liberty, you have to have law and order. If you don't have law and order, then you're then you really are living in anarchy. Now, there's two kinds of anarchy, right? There's the there's an anarchy of an absence of law and order, right? If you and everybody knows that kind of anarchy. If you don't have any law and order, of course you have anarchy. And if you want to know what that looks like, just go to some cities in the United States, and you'll see anarchy on a fairly regular basis. Now, if you Go to the other side of the spectrum on that. There's another kind of anarchy, and it's it, I would describe it as an anarchy of excessive law. If you don't have a constitutional system to restrain government from making an excess of laws, 
then you have basically this out-of-control, unpredictable series of laws that constantly stream out of government that are just uncontrolled, out-of-control laws and legislation. That is an anarchy unto itself. So to have real freedom and liberty, you have to operate somewhere between the two. You have to operate somewhere between an absence of law and order and an excess of laws that are basic, that basically form a kind of tyranny just because of the volume of laws that are being cranked out. And the Constitution is how that's meant to be kept under control. Now, is it being kept under control in the United States? No, it's not. And uh, we're gonna do we're gonna do some episodes on the Constitution later as I uh, as I do this podcast. If you're if you're waiting for the episodes where I where I really begin to dive into the Constitution and tear up the United States of America, that is to say, you know, expose its various problems as it pertains to the Constitution and its lack of adherence to that document, uh, you're going to hear it in those episodes. That's going to be a while before we get there, but you're going to hear that. So that's what I mean when I say freedom and liberty, is operating somewhere in between anarchy without law and order and anarchy with an, exce- an excess of laws. Now, how do you get to a point where you have an excess of laws uh, and, and it's such a volume of laws that there's no controlling it and, and it's unpredictable and it's anar- and it's total anarchy? Well, there's, there's a number of ways that you can do it. One way is to have the central power, you know, institute laws. What do I mean by the central power? In the United States, we call that the executive branch of the United States, as opposed to the legislative branch, which would be Congress, you know, th- that, that traditionally makes laws. If you've got a situation where the central power can effectively make laws, then you, you've basically got some kind of a quiet dictatorship on your hands. And I'm dead serious when I say that. You know, and it's basically, because it's basically dictatorial fiat. And, you know, in the United States, we came up with a very, you know, attractive term for it. It's called an executive order. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you saying that every executive order the president signs is a, a dictatorial fiat? No, not necessarily. It depends on what it, what the application is. I'm just saying that some of them are dictatorial fiats. And honestly, you get too deep into that stuff, and it really smacks of King George III. It really does. So you got to be careful of that. You know, laws have to go through a proper legislative process. Otherwise, you know, freedom and liberty really are in danger most days if, if you don't stick to that process. There's a reason why laws are supposed to be run through the legislature a very particular kind of way. It's to uh, prevent a, a an anarchy of laws. That's the whole point. Uh, in order to maintain your freedom and liberty. And freedom and liberty, by the way, you know, it's not a license to just do whatever you darn well please. That's not what freedom and liberty are. It always has constraints around it. But, you know, it's really... It, it, what, and what is it really? Well, the Founding Fathers... We're going to get more into this as the episodes go on. A more, a more finite definition of freedom and liberty, because the Founding Fathers talk quite a bit about it. But some people do take that to mean, you know, you can do whatever you darn well please, and that's that's not that's not what that means. There has to be, like I said, there has to be that balance between anarchy and anarchy on both sides of the spectrum. And the Constitution, you know, did a fairly good job of that. And the state constitutions are supposed to play their role in that as well. And the idea is is to not allow a situation where people are able to run wild to the extreme in some kind of anarchy, but at the same time, the laws that you do pass... And the limitations that you do pass on people's behavior, limitations on their behavior, that is, do not cross the, the boundary into being a, an anarchy of laws itself. You have, to, you have to restrain government from doing that kind of thing. And, you know, people can wax philosophical for probably days just amongst themselves as to how you strike that balance and where is the balance at. But it's to be found in there somewhere. And I, I may do another episode where I where I talk more specifically about that balance. And it's going to differ 
quite a bit amongst people. And that, again, is the beauty of having a, uh, a federal system, a union of states like the United States, because you have 50 different states that can do it different ways. And, you know, because the people on one end of the country may want a different balance than the people on the other side of the country, and that's fine. And that's the beauty of it. And the idea is, is that you maintain that balance between the states instead of trying to have one group of states ride roughshod over the other group of states, right? And all this, this constant balance, you can begin to see, you can begin to envision in your mind this constant balance between people and government and between state and state and state and, and federal and federal and state in order to keep this, this kind of harmony that, that, that can exist between people so that they can live free with their liberties intact but not live in anarchy on the one hand, but also not live under a tyranny on the other. This is a very tricky thing, isn't it? Does it sound complicated? Because it actually kind of is. And honestly, I don't think people give this enough thought. I really don't. Because did you hear this problem described this way when you were in high school? Like, like exactly this way? I, Because I, I did. Maybe you went to a better high school than I did, and that's entirely possible. But a lot of times, this kind of stuff just doesn't get taught. Which, again, is why this podcast exists, and also why it's incumbent upon us all to make sure that the people around us understand these concepts, if they don't already. So, you know, I say all of that to basically clarify and expand upon my remarks in the prior episode, because I didn't have time to really deal with it. So, when I, you know, when I say things like, you know, freedom and liberty being, you know, principally, people who, people who really appreciate the United States have, tend to have a focus on freedom and liberty. It's absolutely true, and those tend to be the most patriotic people in the United States. As William Tudor had described, patriotism was alive and well in 1774, and in certain circles it is in the United States today, and those are the people who tend to agree with the Founding Fathers as far as freedom and liberty and what that means. Like what George Washington, when he wrote about it, uh, well-regulated militia. That's a, that. Like I said, it's a big debate. That's why I, I do multiple episodes on that topic. It is a big debate, and people people wonder, why is that necessary? Why is it necessary to have a well-regulated militia? Well, because George Washington and the boys, back in 1775, really believed that this was crucially important to a free country. Amongst other things, but that's that's a that's a big one. So if you're if you're looking for some metric of what a, what a free country is or, or is is not, then that that could be one of them. It's not the only one, by the way. There's a, there's a multitude of those, but that's one of them, and that's part of striking that balance between tyranny on one side or tyranny on the other. So for, you know, freedom and liberty are always crucially important. Yeah, I think I think most people in the world want some some kind of freedom and liberty. It's just a question of how they define that and what that means to them. I, I think it means something very specific. And honestly, I think the Founding Fathers of the United States hit the nail on the head when they when they wrote it up in the Declaration of Independence and when they put the Constitution of the United States together, especially with the Bill of Rights. Read those Bill of Rights again. And it really tries to firm up that concept of freedom and liberty. Like, what are the restraints on government? How are we going to control this thing? thing that wants to go out there and tell the people I don't trust you I want to take away your liberty because that's what it that's what the government is saying when they say they don't trust you they're saying they want to take away your liberty you may not you may not believe that but I firmly do and the the founding fathers in the bill of rights the whole purpose to those bill of rights was to control that problem that they had with government going around saying we don't trust you it was the people responding back to the government saying we don't trust you 
government. So here's our Bill of Rights. And you might think to yourself, well, why, didn't the government pass the Bill of Rights? Yes, the government of the people, by the people, and for the people passed the Bill of Rights. But that's the only reason why it ever got passed. And honestly, it got passed late. It was kind of put on the back burner. Those issues in the Bill of Rights were actually talked about during the ratifying process of the Constitution, and it was kind of it was kind of talked about. I forget exactly how the scenario played out, but it was always kind of put off like, oh, well, we'll, we'll get to that later. And it took them years to finally do it. There was some there was some feet dragging that took place there, and I would argue that that was the government talking right there. The foot the foot dragging that was all government right there. And it was only the push of the people that got that done. And the people's allies in the Congress. Because the Congress is made up of individuals. The Congress is not some monolithic organization. Neither is government. There are good people there, especially back in the 1780s and 1790s. There were some really good people there. My gosh. I mean, I, I have a copy of the original draft of the Bill of Rights hanging on my wall. And it was signed off on by Vice President of the United States, John Adams. He was the president of the Senate, a.k.a. vice president of the United States. So there were very good people in government back then who really wanted to get this done. It's the only reason it got done. It's the only reason it got done. And that freedom and liberty, the freedom and liberty articulated in, in those Bill of Rights is really something that we count on. And we're going to talk much more about that as we get into our discussions on the Constitution, which are going to come much later in the podcast, of course. We're following a linear path here, if you haven't noticed. And we, we haven't even gotten to the start of the war yet. So I, this podcast is going to go on for quite a long time. I hope you have the patience for it. But again, you know, that, that should tell you a lot about this podcast. I mean, if you stick with it, there's going to be such a volume of information that we talk about here that you are going to be an expert. As, as much of an expert as any person operating in normal society could possibly ever be about the Founding Fathers and what happened during this time period. I firmly believe that. And we are all students here in the school of the Founding Fathers of the United States. They are here to teach us. And no, they're not perfect. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. I got another short-form podcast coming about that very topic. But, but you know, in, in conclusion, you know, freedom and liberty... Freedom and liberty is a very delicate thing. You know, you want to make sure that... I, I, you know, routinely in the podcast, I say, you know, pay attention to this, or I say, you know, keep an eye out for this, keep an eye out for that. All of that is really, you know, my way of saying, you know, there are certain things that are crucially important to maintaining freedom and liberty in a country. And when I say pay attention, it usually has something to do with whatever it is that I'm talking about. And you can agree with me if you want, you know, if you want to disagree with me if you want on some of these things, but that, and that, and that's fine. But I, I, you know, I, I really stand by some of these, some of these topics that we, that we cover here on this podcast uh, as being crucial crucially important. And I hope you continue to come back to the podcast and study this information with the rest of us. And uh, really, really great to have you here on this episode of the podcast. You know, I will have another feature-length episode, barring some catastrophe, of course. I'll have a feature-length episode for you next Monday. And I appreciate the uh, the support of this podcast. You know, the, the, this, previous, this last episode, um, that is to say the previous episode, number 28, it got... Um, Quite a few downloads really quickly, quicker than most. I, there's usually a, a noticeable trend in the downloads. Uh, they, it's usually kind of a slow burn. And in this last episode, it was actually quite rapid, the pickup of it. And I hope that was because as of late, you've, you know, the episodes have been good quality and cover good material, and you were looking forward to more of that. I hope that's the reason why. 
But whatever the reason, I, I certainly appreciate you folks downloading the podcast and sharing the podcast uh, with other folks to get the word out there that we're here. Because, uh, again, I don't have big budgets to market this podcast. This is not a million-dollar podcast, in case you couldn't notice. <laughs> of course, you probably noticed. But uh, there's a lot of million-dollar podcasters out there who uh, have marketing budgets in the sort. I certainly don't. So my marketing, my marketing department is really you folks. In a great many ways. And you guys do an excellent job of that. I can tell by the downloads of the podcast that there's some folks out there really sharing the podcast and getting the word out. And honestly, I'm honored. I'm humbled. Uh, by your efforts in that regard, that you think highly enough of this podcast to, to share it with other people that you know. Uh, that um, It makes my day whenever I see numbers that, that really demonstrate that. I really appreciate it. And of course, if you have any thoughts questions, disagreements, agreements, whatever, uh, with this uh, podcast, this episode, or the podcast generally, uh, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's typically what I check for reviews. Or alternatively, you can go over to Patreon, where I have a subscription page. There's a lot of content creators over on Patreon, by the way, mostly YouTube folks. Uh, there's a lot of YouTube creators that are over there on Patreon. Uh, not as many podcasters, but there are there are quite a few podcasters as well. But I'm certainly there at uh, patreon.com slash podcastswithroman. And if you go over there, there's a subscription that you can subscribe for if you like. It gives you an additional podcast. So it's uh, it's not just one of those Patreons where you go over there just to kind of say thank you for doing this podcast. Not at all. I give you a whole other product over there on Patreon. That's, that's basically what you pay for. And I try to give you a good product over there as well, something that uh, will get you thinking. And maybe give you a good perspective on some topics that are getting kicked around in the news or society or something like that. I don't cover a lot of current news. Mostly what it is is just societal topics that I kind of pluck out of thin air. And I want to talk about and do some research on for you and and, uh, and just expand on. Something that other people may not be talking a lot about. So, if you want to join me over there, you certainly can. With all that said... I will be looking forward to the next episode of this podcast uh, with all of you folks, and uh, it's going to be a feature-length episode, and I hope you uh, join me. And this is Roman signing off. Thank you.